Welcome to the Strategic Talent Management People Solution Podcast. We solve your people challenges. People are the most important ingredient for your business or organization's success. We believe the way to take your organization to the next level begins with knowing your people and yourself. Welcome to Strategic Talent Management's People Solutions Podcast. I am Sue MacArthur, President of STM, and I have a special guest with me today. Creative strategist and growth accelerator Kelly Cunningham takes businesses from overcrowded spaces into blue ocean territory to confidently stand out and thrive as brand leaders. The founder of Big Bold Brand, Carly helps agencies, innovators, and change makers accelerate the growth, impact, profit, and stability of their ventures. Her innovative Surefire method provides businesses with the strategic toolkit needed to attract right fit clients, outpace their competitors, and charge a premium. That is a lot of interesting stuff. Welcome, Carly. <laughs> it's great to be here. I'm glad to finally be in conversation with you. It's going to be yes, fun. Yes, we've been talking about this for a while. So in this episode, we're talking about differentiation, which may seem mm -hmm. a deviation from our usual focus on people challenges. But I would argue that all of what we'll be talking about applies not only to differentiation as a brand and your products and services, but differentiation as an employer as well. So Carly, when we were talking about this podcast, you mentioned the idea of standing out in a sea of sameness. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Why is differentiation more important now than ever? Oi, big question to get started with. I think where I want to just one yeah one thing i want to jump on just first and then i will i promise i will answer your That's question fine. but <laughs> and and you hit the, i think you hit the nail on the head and i want to pull it out cuz it's super important differentiating your products and your services or your offerings or your you know talent management system or whatever it is that your business offers is so often brand gets allocated because marketing's job is to work on those functional pieces of how are we saying that this service or that service or you know that technology is different where i play is in the space of building company brands mm -hmm. so there's another layer there's so many types of brands that i think that get glossed over there's a personal brand there's um there is a company brand there is a product brand there's even in pharma there's a term that, that they use it's called using it for an off-brand use which essentially means they invented it for this for you know solving heart attacks but we also found that it does something else for someone in a completely different category so brand gets thrown around so much and i just want to anchor in anything that i'll be talking about today unless we specifically say product or service i'm thinking about it in the context of what is your company brand and okay. small to mid-sized businesses don't tend to often consider that or uh, you know uh, a branded product or like a name brand could be coca-cola or something i'm t specifically talking about a company brand mm -hmm. so why is it more important than ever to have your company brand be differentiated so that you're standing out in the sea of sameness. Well, in context of what you do, it's about how are you going to attract top talent when everybody is competing for them? What right. is going to make them choose your business over the other three offers that they have? And in particular, 
they might be compete. They might be, these folks might be applying in different industries. And if an industry say tech is able to offer more than an agency or more than another industry that you happen to be in, then you're under the gun right away to find ways to make your employment more attractive without having the leverage or the lever of money, right? So we've got a competitive marketplace for staff. Another reason that it's really important, and I'll and I'll swing back to the outside places. Mm-hmm. If you're not differentiated right now in this economy that nobody wants to label, <laughs> you're talking about that earlier in the green room right. in today's economic climate. Could we please just call it a recession? And I know right. it's not showing all the same markers that it usually does, but we're all feeling it. I'm feeling the same vibe as 0809. And man, that was tough. Mm-hmm. And so whether you're selling to consumers, whether you're selling B2B, dollars just aren't as easily available right now. Right. VCs right. aren't investing, banks aren't loaning, or they're their criteria has just increased so much that cash flow is tighter. And so as well, everyone, the mindset, everyone's hesitant and unsure. So if the business owner who's looking at, or the decision maker who's looking at working with you is sensitive, they're going to be very, very sensitive to what value they're receiving from you. And if you can't communicate that in a differentiated way, or you can't differentiate yourself and, you know, we know our competition does this and we do it this way. And we specialize in working with your type of client or this particular niche. And people are really looking for those teeny tiny little levers of how do you understand me better? What more do you have to offer me? Why do you resonate with me, um, both my heart and my head? Mm-hmm. There are, there's all these tiny little sensitive pieces right now as to why they're going to choose you over anyone else. And if you're not differentiated, guess what? You're in the race to the bottom on price. You're only negotiating on price. And we all know how well that works. It's painful. Right. But we all, we've all found ourselves there once in a while. Uh, Every time, Mm -hmm. every time it, it's at least a conversation, but how do we take that off the table and say, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not about price. Yeah. I know in your branding work that you have a discussion about culture as part of the brand. This Mm -hmm. of course dovetails perfectly with what we do here at STM but why is culture so interwoven with a company brand? It's a chicken and egg scenario. You hear about all the time. Does the culture come first or does the brand come first? And it it actually doesn't matter. You just got to start with one. However, if we're talking about, again, that holistic piece of company brand, we're not talking about culture being developed in the silo of HR, like earlier we were talking about brand and products and services being developed in the silo of marketing. We're talking about what are our fundamental beliefs and truths that are contributing to guiding the development of our brand and or our culture and both. So where we look at getting into the, how do we get you authentically differentiated out in the sea of sameness and the ability to build a great culture, to build a standout brand, to attract top talent is we're looking at those fundamental beliefs and truth of who you are inside your company. So what is your purpose beyond making a profit? Why are you here? Why were you driven to create this this business that you know is different, 
you might not be able to figure out how to communicate it yet, but you know, it's different. And I, we have so many conversations with, we know we're different, but we just don't know how to describe why. And it's often because we're so used to looking at the external data that we're not looking internal. So also internal is vision. Where your company is going to be going is not the same as where your competition is going to be going. And maybe that doesn't work for the talent that you're trying to attract or the customers you're trying to, to attract or the strategic partners you're trying to attract. Mm-hmm. What are your values? I mean, we talk so much in culture, in leadership, Mm -hmm. in talent management. We talk about values being so important to attract the people that really fit our culture. We can't do that if you're not clear. And then also, who do you want to serve? Another fundamental belief belief and truth is we're really good at serving these people and we really enjoy serving these people we're not so great at serving these folks and they actually kind of make our people miserable. So one of our truths is these are our people. And all of this contributes to like attracting like. Well, we see that a lot in hiring is Mm -hmm. that um, those, those beliefs and the values really are critical to fit and that's mm-hmm. that's not just fit with an employer. It's sometimes fit with a brand. You know, will I buy this product as opposed to this one? Because I like what they stand for. Mm-hmm. Um, and if your company is very profit driven, then, you know, you need different people and you're probably going mm-hmm. to attract different customers. Or if you're if your whole thing is about being helpful, yeah. different set of people, different set of customers. Absolutely. I once had a client in the tech space. And it was a bunch of very A-type, mostly men, and very direct. And their number one value, it was uh, it's either going to draw you in or push you out. And it, their number one value was stated as get shit done. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, right? But that's that was them. And they were unapologetic about it. And so that also gets into the differentiation piece of taking the time to explore things like values and going, what is the language that we use inside our company? Mm -hmm. And we know a few different people who use very different language from you and I, and whenever you, and I'm talking about the strategic partner group that we tend to play in, and all you have to hear is one sentence and you know exactly who it is. Right. Right. And so you're the ROI guy over there. (laughs) Right. You're the ROI guy. You're the one who's a troublemaker. You're the one who's a disruptor. You're the, and if you can figure out the essence of who your company is and whether you have a unique dialect, whether you tend to use academic words, whether those are completely banned in your company, and you start to weave that language into things like guiding principles, then Mm -hmm. people get an essence and a sense of who you are. And coming back around, I wanted to to dive into a quick story. I was just on a call with um, one of our clients doing um, a case study review to try and get into the ROI of of the project that we did for them. And um, no surprise, their HR guy honed in on the values. And he said, you know what's really cool? He goes, we've hired two people. And so they're in the railroad industry and they were hiring, one was a mechanic role and one was some other technical role. They hired two guys that have no technical experience to do those jobs whatsoever, but they fit their values so well that they knew they could bring them into the culture quickly 
and they knew they could train for that role. And they said, these are two of our now top performers within six months of hiring them. Mm. Like, that's crazy. Right. It's amazing what what a powerful tool that is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So where should business leaders start on this journey? <laughs> what's what's a good jumping off point if somebody's thinking, you know, they're listening to us and thinking, I really need to pay attention to this stuff. What should they mm-hmm. do? I would say audit on, are we clear on our purpose? Is it documented? Are we clear on our three to five year vision? And that's a bit of a nuance. Some people say BHAG, some people say 10 year. I, we tend to go to, we, we may help you form those because those are, you know, it's, it's like, you know, forming your NASA statement. That's like, this is our really where we're going to stretch and reach to, which creates a different energy and mm-hmm. it can um, rally people to a brighter future. The challenge with a 10 year or a 20 year or a 25 year vision, or even some companies go, you know, hundred year indigenous folks here go seven generations, but it's intangible to the human brain. So we want to tie things to neuroscience and understanding that creates a sense of motivation. So we go to three to five year vision and break it down because there's a sense of urgency around that. So getting clear on where are we headed in the next three to five years. So when we're talking to folks, we're going to hire when we're talking and doing a reset with our team, say post, Oh, heaven forbid the next pandemic or, you know, getting through a tough time, getting right. through this transitional of the thing we're not calling the recession, you know, where are we headed now? Like we've survived now, where are we going? People mm-hmm. want to know that. So getting clear on that, um, getting clear on who is your ideal target audience. And I'm, I'm really talking about getting down. Can you get into some niches? Can you get into some very particulars and getting clear on the problems that you solve and really understanding what it is that you do for all of those people because of why you do it and because of where the company is going and how you do it. And that seems really fundamental. Here's the thing. I say start there. Because so many business leaders I sit at a table with bring their leadership team to the table and they say, you know, we've got some lack of clarity, but we do have some of these pieces. And I'm like, really? Great. Um, Can you send those to me before the meeting? I get crickets. And then I sit down at the table with them and I'm like, so um, you said you were clear on your purpose and your vision and your values, but I haven't, I haven't seen anything yet. Can you, can you talk to me about that? And then I start talking about it or I'll be the, I will be the disruptor in the room. And I'll ask one of who is not the senior leaders on the team. I'm like, what's your, what's your company vision? Like, where are you guys going in three to five years? Awesome. And I'll say, you know, Sonia, can you tell me what, what your brand promise is? And Joey, can you tell me what two or three of your guiding principles are or your values? (laughs) Right. And I start to get blank stares or I'll ask the same people the same questions and we get different answers. And I can see the owners and leaders getting really frustrated. It's because it hasn't come out of their heads and down on paper. It's been passed on through oral translation and oral teaching, but that effectively, effectively puts everything on the leaders. And especially if you have a visionary, it puts all the weight on their shoulders. They're carrying around that brand, that culture in a backpack and expecting everybody to be able to see through it and know what it is. In our world, if it's not documented, it doesn't exist. If it's mm-hmm. not documented and relevant and up to date, it almost doesn't exist. So let's get on it and let's get it clear. Let's get it down on paper and in a format that everyone on the leadership team agrees on. Then we've got something in the pocket. 
Well, we've had a similar journey. My business partner, our CEO, Art Boulay, um, was on his own for quite a while. And when he brought me on board, those first couple of years were, okay, let's let's get everything out of Art's head because that's the only place mm-hmm. it lived. Yeah. And it, it's been quite a journey to document all of that. And as we grow to pass to pass all of that on to, to the next generation of, of STM leadership. So, mm-hmm. and has that relieved some stress for art and taken some of that weight off his shoulders? I'm not sure what he'd say. Okay. About that. All right. I'll ask him <laughs> next time I see him. What about right. for you? Has it made it easier? Oh, so much easier. Has it made you more confident as to being the two IC and steering the ship? Absolutely. And that's the one thing that I find that gets so underestimated about building these fundamental beliefs and truths. Some people will call it your brand positioning. Some people will call it your HR brand. Can we please just refer to it as the tools that leadership needs is it having it clear, having it relevant, having it up to date, having it in everybody's hands gives people confidence. Why is that so important? Because confidence drives action. Action drives traction, traction drives success, and success drives results. So if people are lacking that clarity and the confidence, they're not taking action or they're not taking as much action as they could be because they don't have the tools to give them at least a part of autonomy, if not all the autonomy they need to be making decisions in their departments without coming back on the leadership or making wrong decisions. Mm Mm-hmm. And people can't exceed your expectations if they don't know what they are. Yeah. They can't exceed your expectations if they don't know where you're going. Right. Right. Yeah. They can't build a strat plan for their department. And that's a misnomer. They can't build, call it an annual execution plan with some goals if they don't know what they're aiming at. What's Mm -hmm. our next top of our mountain? Right. So in terms of time and money and energy and, and all of those resources, What should people think about investing in first when they Mm. realize that their business looks and sounds like everybody else? Fair question. Um, I would say, and people are always shocked by this, but I will explain it in a So I've done it two ways. I've done the, okay, so we're going to go on a team retreat. We're going to put everybody in a room for two days in this beautiful location, and we're just going to hammer it all out. Option one. Option two is we're going to go through an iterative process and work at figuring out these elements in an order that makes sense because they do build upon each other, at least in our model they do, is how can you know what your vision is if you don't know what your purpose is? How can you figure out what your vision should be if you don't know what your values are? And so putting those in a a sensical order of how you can build on them for your company. And it's just, I mean, it could be for you as simple as writing down the things that are missing and going, well, which one feeds the other and help us make decisions? And also in doing it in an iterative process allows you to, maybe you put them in the wrong order, but you're like, oh, we figured out that if our purpose is that, then this doesn't quite align because all those strategic pieces aligns with one another. They mm-hmm. all tie together to form what eventually becomes your story and your narrative and that story and narrative about your fundamental beliefs and truths. So the second option I'm saying is take the time to set aside time each week or every two weeks to go in and work on those pieces and build and iterate them and give people time in between to think about them, 
to play with them, to muse them in conversation with one another, to notice again, coming back to what are the lang- what is the language we're using? Because if we're forcing a word in there that we don't use, that feels awkward, people are going to pick on, pick that up. The external world is going to pick that. They're going to be like, they don't really feel authentic. And so I find if we come back to the do it in two days, it's like driving on the Autobahn, or if you've ever been in Montreal, <laughs> same, same. And someone goes, oh, cool. That's a really great idea. Let's go there for lunch. And you take, all of a sudden you're on a cutoff. Everybody's <laughs> excited because everybody loves, you know, uh, or everybody loves a good bagel. You're, right? off, you're well. off before you know it. And everybody's distracted because they're hungry. They've been hammering it out for a while. And it just seemed like a really good idea at the time. But there's no ability, especially for the introverts in the room. Oh my gosh, the introverts love the iterative process. Mm -hmm. They need time to process. So doing it as an iterative process gives everyone the time to process, to integrate, to play with things and to hone them in less pressure. So pressure cooker mode versus let's think this through and do it right mode. And it doesn't, where our, where folks get a little wigged out is when I say, when you do the process with us, you can bank on, it's going to be 14 to 16 weeks to get your fundamental beliefs and truths. And in the Surefire method, there's 12, 12 of those brand elements or tools, which are actually business strategy elements and brand strategy elements. It's, it's a lengthy amount of time, but what we're doing is we're also working alongside you as you're testing and using them. So mm. you're getting the clarity as you're moving forward. You're not waiting till the end till we hand you the book and say, okay, here's all your you know, elements, AKA tools, away you go. Mm. We're getting clarity and we often see our clients make progress in attracting better top talent in that amount of time. We see them making, their team starts making better decisions. They start taking more actions. They start attracting and closing more of the right fit clients because they're using the tools and refining them as they go. You used the word authentic a little mm-hmm. while ago. And I'd like to talk more about that because I've certainly had experiences with brands that felt icky for one reason or another. <laughs> like, icky, love that this word. This just doesn't feel right to me. And mm-hmm. I, I think what it is, is it was, didn't feel authentic. Yeah. So let's talk more about that. I mean, what, how do you make sure that what you're putting out there in the world is, is the real authentic you? That's a great question. I'm trying to figure out how I don't pick on the marketers right now. And I'm not sure I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and and no fault of their own. Often, often what I find when we get those inauthentic icks is because what we're trying to do is square peg round hole with what the external data is telling us. Mm. And by what I mean by that is what I have surmised from talking to many and being in a few um, disagreements or heated conversations with marketers who are like, but you don't build to the data. And I'm like, well, small to mid-sized businesses are typically run by people who have dreams, ambitions, thoughts, beliefs. And if we build to just the data, which is the external research that says, hey, Sue, we know that you've been serving this audience for a while, but we've really found this hole in the marketplace. We'll call it a blue ocean. Um, 
And that's where I find that blue ocean, red ocean gets a little contrived. We found this blue ocean for STM out in the marketplace. And it looks like this. These are the people you're going to serve. You're going to serve. Um, what's an industry you would never work in? Because I'll pick one and I'll probably be, oops, that was your client. What's an industry you um, would just not touch? We, we don't do well with banks. Okay. But you know what, Sue? We found that banks are really underserved and guess what? They have money. So we're going to reposition you and rebrand you so that you appeal to banks. And this is, you know, what the data is telling us. And I can see in your face right now, you're just like, not buying yeah. it. Right? <laughs> ick. Ick. There's ick all over it, right? <laughs> So there's this there's this fine balance. And that's why, again, I go back to those fundamental beliefs and truths, the inherent intrinsic elements of what makes your company you. Mm -hmm. And so authenticity in the, in, the, in the way we do it comes out naturally because that's what we're seeking to understand. Why did you start this company or for you? Why did you know that STM was a right fit for you? Art told me so. Art told you so. <laughs> I, awesome. I, I've known Art for like 25 years. And one day he called me. He's like, you need to come work for me. Okay. But let's go, let's dig into that for a second. So you've known Art for 25 years. If Art wasn't values aligned with you and wasn't a human that you liked being around and that you believed in, there's no way that that would have ever happened. You probably would have stopped hanging out with him after the first, you know, chamber of commerce meeting you saw him at, right? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's those internal pieces of what makes us human and being very careful that the data doesn't steer us wrong. Now, I'm not saying don't use the data to help inform where the opportunities are, but you have to have that toolkit as we refer to it, those strategic elements or fundamental beliefs and truths, they all are effectively the same way. And, and we teach the owner how to transition them from, these are what we believe, these are our beliefs and truth. They're now our positioning elements, but they're also this powerful set of business tools to steer us in the right direction and make decisions by. When you have them in that formation of tools and understand that your purpose and your, your values can help you evaluate what industries are gonna be a good fit for you or not a good fit for you, Mm -hmm. then we get into that authentic place. So I'm not saying don't use the data. I'm just saying with small to mid-sized businesses, I've seen too many times that the data interferes because it's a whole bunch of shoulds on the business owners when their heart is really saying, but I really want to work with this person, this type of person, but I really right. want to help these people. But I really started the company because I could believe we can do it better in this way. The data can often pull them off that access. Sorry. Axis, I have a trouble with access and axis. Um, <laughs> pull them off that internal axis and steer them in the wrong direction because that's what they should do. All right. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. And that's that's why it feels so icky when it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. And or, you know, another thing that that has been a thing and from the mad it's care i blame the madman days i mean hey it was shiny i wanted to go work in a big agency in toronto when i first graduated too but um the madman days was really about selling the dream selling the solution um i'm i'm a big proponent of being a service and not selling so it makes sense why my process is the way it is mm -hmm. but if we're looking at the being a talented salesperson and being able to sell that to someone in creating that narrative for business owners who don't know better, 
when you get positioned as, hey, here's a really great idea. We're going to package you as this. And they give you this new shiny version that just seems better and easier than what you have or what you currently are. It's easy to go, yeah, we want that. But what I find and what I found is six months into that, a year into that, whatever that external wrapper, that external narrative that was built from the data, you know what it becomes? It becomes an itchy sweater. (laughs) The owners wrap themselves in this narrative thinking, wow, I've got this amazing new suit. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, I hate suits. Right. Oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, no, itchy that sweater. Like. I'm a big, yeah. Like, you're <laughs> oh. even, you can't see Sue right now, but she's actually can't stop itching. itching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, are there any questions that I haven't asked you that you wish I did? Any final mm-hmm. words on the whys and the hows of differentiation? And... Well, I think we touched on it in the green room, but we didn't circle back to it here. Was why why stop building an HR brand? Right. The silo effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and that, yeah, that well, comes right back to the beginning of our conversation where we were talking about most folks perceive that branding is, is, is responsibility and action of marketing. Well, if that is true, then culture and HR brand then becomes a function of HR. And you were going to dive in, so I'll let you riff on well, this. Well, I was just wondering how often marketing and HR talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because when I when I draw the diagrams of a company, I'll have leadership in the center circle, and then I draw the, the um, departments around. And ironically, I always draw marketing in the bottom right and HR in the top left. So they're always pitted against each other. It must have been a subconscious thing. Oh, I know. I know they only talk to each other when there's a difficult employee involved. <laughs> yeah, who's who's messed up a marketing campaign or failed to deliver what marketing has promised, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I'm HR so- helped me fire them or <laughs> fix them, or <laughs> then they'll have yeah. the conversation. But I doubt that they're having the conversation about how does the the marketing brand mesh with the employer brand, the HR brand, and I those conversations are often not happening. They're not happening and nor should there be two different brands in a company because having an HR brand and having a marketing brand just actually makes the company bipolar. And it forces leadership to invest in two different brand strategies. Mm -hmm. But what they're both really doing is trying to build the company brand. But like you said, they're not talking to each other. So I want to encourage the business leaders and owners listening in today to think about this paradigm shift. Anything to do with brand is your responsibility. And when we're saying brand, coming back to anything to do with your company's brand, aka your reputation and how you gain exposure is your responsibility. Right. Whether those are customers or candidates. Yep or strategic partners, or vendors, or investors. Mm -hmm. You can't be having five different brand conversations just because you know that that's what they want. It's another problem about, oh, we're going to build our brand for what they want. More external data that doesn't align with who you are and how you want to do it and why you started your business. That's when it gets to feeling ick again. Right. 
Well, you've provided a resource for our listeners, the Surefire Audit. How mm-hmm. can people access that? They can go to our website at bigboldbrand.com forward slash Surefire Audit, all one word. And just in case I'm wrong, uh, Sue, I know, has the link. She will drop it in the link notes. It, it will be in the podcast notes. <laughs> And, and so what that is, it is goes right back to when you said, where should people start? How do they determine how to differentiate if they've got the right tools in place to attract the A-team players who are going to be a great fit for them? You can run right through that audit and it will tell you exactly what state that tool, purpose, vision, values, brand promise are in, and you'll know exactly what you need to update or awesome. develop. Sounds great. I think I'll try it myself. See how we're doing. Amazing. Yeah, let me know how it goes. (laughs) Yes. Well, Carly, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you with me today. Um, Thank you to our listeners as well. I hope you all found this a valuable use of your time. And perhaps we can have you come back and talk with us again sometime. It would be my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Carly. So thank you for listening to another episode of Strategic Talent Management's People Solutions Podcast. Remember to subscribe to get notifications for new episodes. And for more information on strategic talent management, click on the link to our website in the podcast description.